0: The daily tap is live for July third. We're gonna talk about the Bucks free agency. Chris back, Brooke back, Jay back. Bucks are kind of up to something. We'll talk about it all. We're going to also do three things to know about the Brewers' weekend series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. We're also going to discuss how the Brewers avoid the before the week All Star curse that has somewhat developed and infected the Brewers. You can't have it happen this week with a big week against the Cubs and the Reds. We'll get into all of that and much more. I do have a rant, not necessarily a rant, maybe a, Am I the asshole about a bar shuttle? I do want to talk about it, but I don't know if there'll be time. I'm trying to get this podcast up quick. It's late. I know that all those who are working, T's and P's, if you are, you're already grinding through the day. I wanna get this up for the people. So I might not have time. I'm keeping myself to a 30-ish minute so I can pop this thing out, get it ready to go. Uh, And then you have it for the end of your workday, you have it for the ride home. You have it for tomorrow. If you're working around a house for the 4th of July, Uh, if you had nothing going on, you can at least listen to us. If something were to break around the box, uh, we would have another podcast uh unfortunately the brook news kind of came out and i i think we could have done it sunday but we did which is okay because i want to talk about the brewers i think the brewers it, it's been uh really actually a good good couple weeks here but before we do just a reminder social media Keg, on twitter twitter been an interesting couple of days uh rate limits were a thing on saturday weren't a thing on sunday now they're back to being a thing on, Sunday, on Monday, maybe I should spend less time on my phone. We're also on Instagram, Technique Sports, uh, as well as TikTok, same Technique Sports. there, as well as Facebook. Uh, make sure that you are rating and reviewing uh, if you've already subscribed or dropping it in the group chat or talking about it at your, you know, your 4th of July event, right? I know everybody's gonna be out drinking have a good time either tonight tomorrow uh make sure you're telling us about us make sure you're you know keeping people in the loop saying hey look there's this great sports podcast i listen to you know it covers everything it's not just packers it's not just uh the bucks it's everything and you get it all uh right here at tabbing the keg Sports. so hopefully you guys are spreading the good word i know that there's some great advocates out there for what we do and i appreciate you all All right, let's get into the Milwaukee Bucks bringing back most of their roster. Chris Middleton returned to the Milwaukee Bucks on Friday afternoon. It was announced that Chris Middleton was signing a three year, $102 million deal with a player option in that third, I believe. They haven't officially announced that. Uh, Woj noted that it was a player option. I don't think he ever cleaned it up to know if it's a player option for that third year, but I think everybody's under the assumption that Chris Middleton will get a player option again in year number three. That contract is seemingly affordable. I, I think We all sort of thought that that's what the Bucks wanted to do. I'd heard from some people that that was what the Bucks were hoping to do. They weren't really hoping to go four years. They were hoping for three, obviously a little more money, right? But I think that's kind of the theme of this NBA free agency. It's a little more money. Than I think everybody expected. The projections were, you know, a little bit understated, and I wouldn't even say that they were overstated with what guys got. But I, I think that's just the trend we're seeing in the NBA. Uh, everybody's getting a little more money than what was believed to be. And so Chris Middleton gets, you know, nearly, you know, a little over thirty million dollars a year. I know Chris Middleton has had a lot of injuries. He's had a lot of issues um, post championship. But let's remember that, you know, in 2022, Chris Middleton was just as good as he was in that 2021 finals. Chris Middleton had a very good 2022 year. I use the term memory hole a lot. Like memory hole is the new house money uh, for those OG listeners. But I I, I do think we memory hole that season because we're like, oh, he got hurt. And it's like, well, he got hurt in the playoffs, right? He didn't get hurt during the year. Chris Middleton had a good 2022 then 2023, it took him forever to recover. He had struggles, you know, getting back. There was frustration from Giannis, is what what was known. That Giannis wasn't exactly happy with the way Chris Middleton was rehabbing. There was a little bit of an internal frustration, you know, in in January. But they obviously pushed past it because Middleton was involved with the head coaching process. Middleton, you know, had you know had basically a seat at the table. So to to go from the frustration in January, which people like Bill Simmons, even Brian Windhorst, a little bit, you know, before the NBA free agency started, noted they've now sort of worked past that and are ready to run it back. And I do think Chris Middleton can have a Brook Lopez like year in 2023 and 2024, where he is an efficient scorer. He you know becomes a little bit better in terms of wing defense and provides more value on that side of the ball. He is that closer that we've seen in the past. I think Adrian Griffin will do different things for Chris Middleton. Adrian Griffin doesn't seem obsessed with the three-point shot like Mike Wu knows was. So I expect you're gonna see Chris Middleton in some opportunities to you know exploit that mid-range game that he's so good at doing. I think there's gonna be a lot more PR stuff with Chris Middleton and Giannis. That was something that would work so well uh, with with the box, especially in that playoff run uh, in 2021, where it, when you needed a bucket, you had Chris Middleton running the action, and then you'd have Giannis screening, and then that was that was it, and it worked well. It was either opened up a shot for Middleton, or you had Giannis cutting to the lane. I think you're going to see a lot more of that. I actually think Chris Middleton initiating the offense is something that you haven't seen in a while. But remember, you know, there was a, I think it was in 2022, where Drew Holiday was down with COVID, if if I'm not mistaken. And Middleton, you know, really ran the offense well. I think he had a game in Denver where he had like 14 assists. And I, I just wonder—is that part of their plan? Are they they thinking that Middleton will be used more as an initiator, um, and that that they're going to use you know him as a sort of your second point guard, if you will? I don't know if I, I exactly like that. I know that there are some ball handling concerns, you know, maybe not at the Jalen Brown level, but Middleton is known for a, a turnover here and there. But Chris Middleton took less money that he probably could have got. He took less years. And now you have sort of a situation where the Bucks have this three year window. This window is open. I know Bill Simmons has said that they're on the clock. I haven't listened yet. I, I do think it's funny that Bill is very hard on Milwaukee because he that's the team that's directly competing with his Boston Celtics. It's convenient. Uh, I, I love Bill. I, I do. Like he's to me, he if I ever met him in person, I'd say, you know, he inspired a lot of the shit that I do. So I don't want it to seem like because just because I'm critiquing him, I don't love and respect what he does on a night to night basis uh, with his podcast and like the ringer and everything else, but because I, I do. But yeah, it's to me like there, it, it's not, no one's on the clock. Giannis is resigning. They're going to try to get younger. They're going to try to have a, a mix of young and old guys, I think, better than what the Warriors are doing because the guys like Andre Jackson, guys like Marjon Beauchamp, and others that are coming, that will be here sooner rather than later, are going to start building this young core of the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis Antetokounmpo. And Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to be the veteran on this team, you know, soon enough. And guys like Holiday, guys like Lopez, will you know depart. Same with Middleton. And then they will kind of flip this roster. They're going to have to. And that and that's that's just part of it. Unfortunately, Giannis. Doesn't have the guy that's you know riding aside him, right? Like Clay Thompson and Steph Curry are similar in age, same with Draymond Green, right? And so you can kind of ride it out with those guys. Now with a guy like Giannis, it's you know there there's an age gap here, and so that's that's part of it. But Middleton's ready to run it back as well as Brook Lopez. Brook Lopez. It was a little bit different for him. It wasn't just immediately Brooke Lopez was back. I think all of us in Buck's world thought that Brooke Lopez would be back on Friday night. That's why Mitch and I were going to do a podcast on Saturday morning because we thought Brooke and Chris are going to resign. Like that was that was kind of it. We it seemed like a done deal. Uh, And as we know, with the done deal saga of Marquette basketball uh, years ago, it's not all that's not always the case. And we had to wait for Brook Lopez until middle of the day on Saturday when it would it would break that Brook Lopez signed a two-year $48 million deal. Now, I, I think that contract was, a, again, a little bit more than what we expected. A lot of people were projecting it at two to 40. Now you have it at two to 48 uh, with 24 million a year. It's a lot for Brook Lopez, uh, especially in a new system where Adrian Griffin does not deploy the drop as as much as Mike Boonholzer. And so we wondered what Brooke Lopez's role could be. But again going back to the Griffin sort of not being obsessed with three pointers and not, I'm not saying he doesn't like three pointers. I'm not saying that he is against three pointers, but if you read the comments, you go back and read his press conference, talk about how we're going to take team three point shots and we're going to get them in rhythm. And it's not going to be, you know, a complete emphasis. It, it basically he's like, I'm not going to be Mike D'Antoni. Let's just, let's just dumb, dumb it down a little bit. Like, I, I'm not going to be Mike D'Antoni. I'm not going to be Mike Woodholzer. It's going to, ha- they're going to happen. They're going to fly but I'm not really asking my guys to shoot 33s 30, 30 a game, not Nate Oates, right? Nate Oates, another example of one of those coaches. So I, I do wonder if there was more of a, hey, we wanna use you in the post, we think you can be a great, you are a great post passer. He's underrated in that. I, I think he's a little bit better. That Giannis is a very, I mean, Giannis' passing is so underrated, but we think we can use, you know, you and Giannis inside and your defense still matters. Your defense helps preserve Giannis Kumbo, which I, I really do think it does. I mean, that was my biggest worry with Brooke Lopez leaving, is if Brooke Lopez left, like, Uh, Giannis in terms of his energy and effort and everything like that, I just worried that guy would drain himself. Like if he was the guy on the, you know, in terms of the ring protector, I I just wondered slash worried if that would be too much for Ansu Kumbo. So Brook obviously, you know, wants to run it back, believes in what Adrian Griffin has sort of set out. And that's really encouraging. That's really refreshing to see because, he would have been the one piece that you might wonder about, right? You know, Middleton felt safe because of the things we just mentioned. Drew Holiday felt safe because of just the defensive tenacity that I I, I think that Griffin wants. Giannis, duh. Uh, so Lopez seemed like the odd guy out, but it's clear that there's enough meat on the bone for him to still want to jump back in with these this Bucks team. He apparently, so there was a, a rumor about Houston sort of getting backstabbed by Lopez and the tweet got deleted. So I don't have a tweet. So the tweet might've been misinformation, uh, which I feel bad that I, I put that out there in the Twitter world, uh, even if not a ton of people saw it. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, I, um, it's, it's interesting that there might've been some drama there and that Houston might've thought they had something for Lopez. Uh, again, I'm, t- I'm going to take this with a complete grain of salt But it seems like Houston was trying to go above and beyond to get Brook Lopez in Houston because Houston wants to be in the playoffs this year. Like Houston is not, you know, a rebuilding team anymore. Houston kind of thinks they have what it takes to be a top tier team. Maybe not top tier, but at least be in the playoffs next year and sort of start building a winner. You know, they give Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, uh, who someone else got paid for Houston? Jock Landell got like a four-year, thirty-two million dollar deal from Houston. Uh, I, I'm trying to think. There was someone else who got paid by Houston, but I mean, they have a they have a talented roster. It, it's clear that M. A. Udoka did not come to Houston to just fuck around. Which you, it's obvious. Like that's not that's not a shock to me. That that's what Udoka wanted to do. Uh, so, anyways. They they obviously drove the price up on Lopez, and that made it for the box where they had to give him a little more money. But I, I really look at it as a one year a one year deal in, in some regards because next year, if they wanted to, you have Drew Holiday in, in the last year of his deal, you have Brooke in the last year of his deal, you have multiple firsts that you can deal because you the window changes. Uh, with, you know, how the new NBA rules are, where you'll have first round, first rounders that can be moved, I think in 2030 and 2031, which is fucking crazy. Uh, and, and, but those, those will be available. Those will, those will be available for, for the Milwaukee Bucks to move. And, and that means that they could do a lot. They could, you know, make a significant move whether it's to get a high draft pick. Now, the 2024 draft by all accounts is one of the worst drafts in maybe modern NBA history or move around for a specific player and get a specific player next season, you know, to sort of revamp the box if, you know, things do not go well this year. So they have that flexibility. That is there and available for them. So I look at this sort of core four return, this last, you know, sort of, I, I wouldn't even call it last dance. It's not, it's not a l- one year last dance. It could be, it could be a last dance and we don't know it, but this team obviously was connected enough to want to run it back. And it just shows you, you know, where where the Bucks are. I could see some that would say, well, Charlie, they running it back with a team that lost as a one seed. It seems foolish, okay? I understand some of that. And I do want to talk about the Bucks being up to something here uh, very quickly. But I-, I want to address that because, number one, Giannis Antetokounmpo was maybe 50%, right? I think we're all in agreement, biased, unbiased observers, that if Giannis played a fully healthy, that the Bucks probably win that series in six or seven, right? It's a tough series. It's not easy for Milwaukee. But they probably get it done because Giannis Antetokounmpo is that guy. Number two, Mike Boonholzer's strategy for Drew Hol- with Drew Holiday and Jimmy Butler was absolutely garbage. G- Drew Holiday has taken a step back in a lot of Bucs fans' minds because he struggled, you know, offensively in the playoffs. And I think it's a massive emph- emphasis that the Bucs need to figure out how can we make sure that Drew Holiday. Is not absorbing so much defensively. Now, maybe that's Andre Jackson Jr., maybe, maybe that's exactly what Andre Jackson is going to be brought in to do. Now that's a tall task for a rookie. Maybe part of it's Marshawn Boche. Maybe it's a, a combination of the two. And that's you know going to help preserve Drew Holiday in the playoffs. Yes, the hol- the holiday playoff struggles are are noted. He's an awesome regular season player. His postseason struggles have been real. And it's, it's definitely been something that we've seen time and time again here. And even in the 2021 run, there were some bad holiday games. Now, he made some big shots. You know, who could forget the one in game seven when he, you know, jacked up that three that I think everyone was like, no, 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 what are you doing? And it went in. Uh, but still, like, Holiday definitely has that you know moniker to him and it's he's he's come up short, come up small in the playoffs. And I think that is the biggest concern with the running back. But I do wonder, you know, is that was that Mike Bootenholzer base? Was that because Holiday was doing so much defensively? that you really couldn't rely on him offensively and you needed to figure out different ways to get him going on the offensive side of things. Did you need someone else to be the primary ball hander and let Drew Holiday work off ball to give him a little bit of a rest, to give him a little bit of, you know, just some slowdown time, right? You know, PJ Tucker being a zero on offense is different than your point guard being a zero on offense, right? So I do think that that, plays a huge factor in it like it would not shock me if next May we're talking about Drew Holiday having this you know sort of revival playoff wise because they've done different things you know in terms of getting him off ball getting him you know not you know being the primary defender all the time and and different stuff so that's where I wonder if Bringing back the core four is more of a, hey, we think that there whatever happened in the playoffs this year is fixable. Whether it's the Giannis injury, whether it's way too much Drew Holiday defending one guy, whether it's Giannis not defending that guy enough, that's the other part. Like Giannis defended Jimmy Butler in the 2021 sweep that the Bucs had at the Miami Heat, and, they, and Jimmy was a complete zero, right? So, and now you have a lot of guys to throw it at, at a guy like Jimmy Butler or Jason Tatum for that matter. You have Giannis, you have Drew, you have Beauchamp, you have Jackson Jr. Those are all guys that you could throw at uh, Tatum or Butler. If Chris Livingston turns into something, you have Chris Livingston. I'm not going to book Chris Livingston, but it's at least worth, worth acknowledging, right? It's a worth, you got to at least mention him because he's big, big bodied, and Jay Crowder, who we haven't even mentioned, came back. And that's that's probably the next part. And what's Jay Crowder's role gonna be? Jay Crowder was pretty much out on the Bucs. Jay Crowder had some mopey stuff after. was like, I don't know my role. I think there are a lot of Bucks fans that are out on Jay Crowder. But I, I do think that, again, Adrian Griffin has a vision here. And I think we need to trust Adrian Griffin's vision. Jay Crowder, I, I'm okay with being back and in the system and you know going through the offseason workouts and building team chemistry and building you know comfort with Giannis and how Giannis passes the ball and how Drew passes the ball and how Chris passes the ball i think Jay Crowder can be a vital part of this bench i am not giving up on Jay Crowder i think Jay Crowder can have a role in this team i think he can be a vital resource to what the Milwaukee Bucks want to do i realize that maybe there's some bias there because i'm a Marquette fan too but I, I do trust that Jay Crowder is going to find his role with Adrian Griffin. I also think Jay and I said this on our preview show, I think Jay Crowder's kinda on his last legs. Like I don't know where Jay Crowder goes from here, right? He's kind of burned bridges with a lot of people, whether it's the Boston organization, whether it's the Phoenix organization, whether it's Monty Williams, whether it's uh, LeBron like there it's there's, there's not a lot left right what you go to Dallas maybe I think he went to Dallas I don't know how, how that ended so he was in Dallas I mean he's been everywhere so what what's left right is it just Go Chang like is, is, is it China like is that it like is that where the next destination is for Jay Crowder so I, I do like sort of that you know, back in a corner mentality because I do think you, you sort of play better. You, you have that chance. And Crowder is going to get that opportunity to maybe have one, better, one good year, have a P.J. Tucker like year for the Milwaukee Bucks. And if he does, he's gonna get paid. And it probably won't be by the Bucks, but he'll get paid. And he'll get sort of that three year, $39 million deal maybe from some team who looks at what Crowder did and said, oh, we can, we can bring that to our system. So I'm not giving up on Jay Crowder. I think there are a lot of fans who will, but I, you, you will not find me as one of them because I, I just think, you know, add him to the mix of the Bucks bench and it's, it's pretty solid. And there was a vision and it just wasn't executed on. So how do you, how do you make sure it happens this year? That's, that's the real question. And then let's talk about the Bucks being up to something because I do think they are. I do not think what we see on this Bucks bench right now is what we will see, you know, at the start of the year. Moggy Bucks have been pretty quiet other than the Lopez and Middleton signing. Now, granted, those are good signings, right? And Crowder for that matter. Those are, those are solid signings. They took care of their guys. They got those done. Uh, but there are other guys that have signed, right? You had Eric Gordon going to Phoenix. You had Corey Joseph going to Golden State. You had Lonnie Walker going to Brooklyn. Thomas Bryant signed. Cody Zeller, P- Patty Mills, Alex Len. They're all like smaller contract deals where are like, oh, that would have been a nice buck, or like trading for young talent, you know, with second round picks. You saw, I think KJ Martin, you know, got traded. I'm trying to think. There was some a couple other guys that got traded for second rounders, and I think you look at all of those and you're like, okay, Bucks could have done some of that. Like, where are the Bucks at? What what are the Bucks doing now? There's some insider account that's saying, oh, they're trying to trade sacks. They're trying to trade for Saxon. Now, Sam Amico, who's an actual reporter, and I don't mean to discredit some of these guys, I really don't because I'm sure I've told you guys the story about Zach Granke, how I, there was an opportunity for me to break the Zach Granke story. I had it early. A friend of mine told me about it, said, hey, you can't tell anybody. And I was telling friends at a par, at a house party, it's actually the first time I met Murph. I was telling people like, hey, I have the Zach Granke news and I was afraid to break it. And I remember somebody else broke it, JP Breen, who I don't know if he does Brewer stuff anymore. He might do something for like Patreon. But JP Breen broke it. I believe he was kind of discredited. I believe Record gave him shit about it. And then he was right. And it, broke, and it was announced that morning that Zach Cranky was part of the Milwaukee Brewers. And... You know, there that's a very sliding doors moment for me. Um, I, Um As much as I respect, sometimes I'm too nice to my friends who tell me stuff because I'm like, I, I've kind of got to that point where if someone does tell me things or I, like, hey, you can't say anything, I'd be like, well, don't tell me it then. <laughs> like, or who can I ask to confirm? Who can I ask to confirm this? And then once I confirm it, I can't, I don't need to tie it to you. Uh, I don't know. Uh, because I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't necessarily want to be an insider, but I also don't necessarily want to, you know, not, like, right, if I have some news, why not share it? I kind of like how some of the other people do that, where, it, you know, you get, could get aggregated, right? That, that's good for the brand. But anyways, I, I went way off track here. It did not help the 30 minutes, because now we're, we're almost at, uh, we're almost at time, and I haven't even talked about the brewers. So the bucks are obviously up to something. They, they wouldn't have, you know, not signed anybody if they weren't thinking about making a move. And the question is, who are they trying to move? Is it Colin Saxon? Are they trying to move Bobby Portis and Grayson Allen for somebody? Because you put Grayson Allen's contract together, you put Bobby Portis' contract together, it's about $20 million. It could get you a really nice player. It could get you a Norman Powell type player. Now the Clippers are looking to kind of dump Norman Powell. The Bucks do not have the ability to just take on Norman Powell's deal unless they want to be on the second April, which I do not think the Bucs want to be. So the question is is like, how do you how do you make that work, right? And is it Norman Powell? Is it Colin Saxon? Is it somebody else that we're not even thinking about? Are they trying to get involved in a Dame Lillard sweepstakes? Even though Dame Lillard has kind of went to Miami or bust. It's gotten very weird with the Dame Lillard stuff. Uh, by the way, I don't know how much you followed that, but it's it's just sort of bizarre. It, it is Rodgers-esque. Like we talked about it on, I think our draft pod, where we, we compared it to Aaron Rodgers and it fucking is. Like that is that that is what we're seeing kind of play out here. And now it's like he only wants to go to Miami, just like, you know, Rodgers only wanted to go to the Jets. Now, Lillard, I believe, does not have a no trade like Bradley Beal. So they can trade Lillard to whoever the fuck they want. So if they feel like a package of Drew Holiday, uh and uh, Grace and Allen or something like that is good enough for them. Then guess what, Dave Miller, you're a Milwaukee Buck. I, I'm, again, I do not have the deal in front of me. I don't know how that would work, right? But I, I just wonder, is that is that part of it? You know, so I think the Bucks are sort of being hamstrung by you know what's what's on deck, right? What's happening, right? Are, are they able to make something work? Because I think the Bucks bench is not exactly solved for. You have guys like Beauchamp and Jackson Jr. and Crowder who are locked in. But I think I think Pat also is safe. I would put Pat in that safe category because I think not only is he Giannis's friend, he's also played well in the playoffs, things like that. The moment has looked too big. He can defend a little bit, right? He's not a complete you know, zero defensively. And I, that's where I think Grayson and Bobby are vulnerable because they don't play a lot of defense. And I, I wondered about this last week where I was like, it, you know, is Bobby's lack of defense going to hurt him with Griffin wanting to be defensive first? And I just, and maybe I'm seeing this clear. Maybe I'm overthinking it and talking about this way too much, but it just make and Grayson's the same way, right? I, and I think Grayson tries. I think Bobby doesn't try. Like I think Bobby cares about rebounding and that's it. Right now, he did say on Twitter, "All sources are trash," uh, so maybe he's not getting moved. But we'll just have to see. We'll just have to see what happens there because I, I do think the Bucks are going to, you know, make a move or at some point the rubber is going to meet meet the road and they'll sign a Malik Beasley, maybe a Terrence Davis, which those would be nice signings. I think we talked. I think Shannon mentioned Malik Beasley as a, a potential target. I think that's certainly on the table. Um, so. I do see that as a, a potential possibility as well so we'll we'll have to see what happens you know in terms of the bucks and free agency but it would not shock me if I'm popping on the pod today tomorrow and being like we have to talk about a trade so I, I think that is very much on the table for Milwaukee bucks we'll just have to see but all in all I I would grade this free agency so far as I, I don't know if I, I wouldn't say a plus because I think getting, you know, getting another, you know, guy, another bench player, I think would make it an A plus. I think right now we're at a solid B plus B+, though. I think you, you did what you needed to do, bringing Chris and Brooke back, running it back a couple more years, and then adding Jay Crowder back into the mix, I think only helps. And so I'll be very curious to see what what's left because there is still, you know, the unfinished business and we'll see how the Bucks finish that off. All right, I said I was gonna keep it to 30 minutes and I'm at 28 minutes. So obviously we're gonna go a little bit over. We'll save the uh, bar shuttle story for another podcast. Over the weekend, the Milwaukee Brewers took care of business against Pittsburgh Pirates. They won two out of three. Probably should have been a sweep. Uh, they're now five and six won against this Pirates team. Pirates have done what the Pirates typically do, right? They start hot, they get everybody excited. Everybody's like, oh, watch out for the Pirates. And then the Pirates fall apart. Um, that's, that's kind of been the theme of their baseball team for really since they made the playoffs, or at least it was just a wild card game, you know, in the mid, you know, 20, 2010s. And that's kind of been what the Pirates brand has been. And the Milwaukee Brewers, you know, head home, winning seven of their last 10 games. Uh, they're playing pretty good baseball, uh, right? Like they're doing it in a lot of different ways. They're manufacturing runs. They're having, you know, pretty good offense. They are right there at the top of the NL Central with the Cincinnati Reds. They're six games over 500, as. We talked about on tapping the keg last week, you know, that's kind of been their watermark, right? Where it's ever since that hot start, they've got up to about six over. And then after they get to about six over, they seemingly lose. <laughs> it's like, no, we can't go any higher than six over. Actually, this might be the first time they are six over in a while here. Let's look. Let's do a really quick scroll here. They were five over against Baltimore before they earlier. They were six over on June the 7th against Baltimore, 34 and 28, and then they lost six straight. Um, So that was not great. Uh, And then let's see, they were, they got up to six against St. Louis on May the 16th. Then they lost three straight and then got it back to seven to four, five before losing three straight. So it seems like right, this is kind of that that time. So now it's really a time to strike for the Milwaukee Brewers. And I was going to do three things to know about the Pirates and Brewers series, which I am still going to do, but we'll, we'll put it in the back here and talk about, you know, kind of why it's a time to strike because you're playing the Cubs, you're playing the Reds. You have, it's all at home. there are going to be huge crowds. I think the entire week, I think you'll have a big crowd today, even though not everybody has off. I still think you'll have a lot of people who will do the Brewer game, then they'll go down to the fireworks after. Uh, Since the city's fireworks are today, you're deadlocked with the Reds. The run differential, pretty much the same. Brewer's minus 16, the Reds minus 20. Uh, And the the Cubs, I think this is kind of a last gasp for the Cubs. So I, I think this is a huge series for Chicago, because if they were to win three out of four, the Cubs would consider themselves kind of right in the race. But if the Cubs lose and the, and the Brewers are able to sort of, you know, end the Cubs season like they were, I think that was 2021 when they traded everybody. And that was the famous Jake Arrieta game where they were up, they were down seven, nothing. They came back and won fourteen to seven. That was sort of the death sentence of the two, you know the world champion Cubs window. Like that was the last you know shutting of that window, which is incredible to look back in retrospect, right? So the Brewers kind of have that opportunity to put the Cubs in the ground here. You know it's not going to be easy. You're facing two lefties in uh, Justin Steele as well as Drew Smiley today, uh, and they face actually I think I saw it now. They so I think they face four lefties in their next six games, right? So they faced Rich Hill yesterday, who apparently is the only left-hander they can hit. Uh, and then you have a lefty today in Smiley, Steele's pitching Wednesday and he's been great. He has the best ERA in the National League. Uh, and then you have Andrew Abbott, who's been well, you know, making a case for NL Rookie of the Year, uh, who's pitching on on Friday. So there, there's a lot, right? That's That's a lot to deal with. And you just kind of have to you know, grip, grip on and, and hopefully your, your side of the table does well from a pitching perspective. You won't have Burns, oh, you have Burns for the, the series against the Cubs. I was like, oh, you won't have Burns, but I, I believe Burns will be, will be on the mound for one of those, which is great. And, and definitely, you, know, you hope that the post all-star break swoon does not hit the Milwaukee Brewers because it has in the past. It, it has not been friendly for them the last few years. Uh, last year, they lost three straight uh, before the All-Star break in San Francisco. Remember, that was when Hater was starting to fall apart. They lost six of eight in 2021. They lost five of six in 2019. They lost six of seven in 2018. So I don't know if it's just, you know, the, the wear and tear of the season. I don't know if it's the way the schedule works out, what it may be. I, I looked in 2017 for whatever it's worth, and they were red hot to go into the All-Star break. So that was the last time the Brewers really had a good, you know, end to the first half. And that's been six years. So how, however the Brewers need to maintain their team. I, I think, I do think they've kind of worked on it, right? Like they were very hesitant to use anyone in the bullpen on on Saturday and that's why that game got tight because Clayton Andrews was sort of out there as a sacrificial lamb that's why Friday night happened that and then Saturday you were able or Sunday excuse me you were able to just use Piguero and Williams and Piguero even looked a little rough there so I, I think the Brewers are doing their best and you just need that offense to continue on and to dive into three things to know The Brewers offense did show signs of life this weekend. Uh, They had seven runs, 11 runs, and five runs over the weekend against a pretty solid Pittsburgh Pirates team. And they did it with home runs, whether it was Contreras or Yelich, both having big three-run home runs. And you also had, you know, manufacturing runs, like the eighth inning, where basically it was a complete shit show. An error was made by the Pirates, but the Brewers took advantage, right? They kept putting pressure on Pittsburgh. It wasn't just a three-up, three-down sort of thing. And so maybe this Brewers offense is rowing in the right direction finally. There has been a struggle for them, but maybe they are they are showing signs of life. Right now, I looked in the last 7 games, the Brewers have an OPS of 731, that's 16th overall in the big league. So not exactly great, right? Not perfect, but they're at least maybe maybe showing some signs. Maybe showing, you know, some opportunities. You know, William Contreras has seemingly Figured out left-handers. They had a, they they did okay against the left-hander again on Sunday. I'll be interested to see if they apply a similar lineup. I would imagine Yelich is back in the lineup today, but will they, you know, have a lineup that is somewhat similar uh, today against Drew Smiley? Will we see that? Uh, you know, what's what's sort of on deck there, and that would be really great for if this offense sort of picks up the pitching staff and you make it a lot easier. On everybody because yes, the the pitching staff is taxed. I think that's pretty well documented in that bullpen, and they don't have any days off. And that's that's making it extremely hard. It's making it extremely hard on, on a lot of people. And so that's that's going to be a goal of this Brewers team here this week. And they do they do play better at home. Like their their home record is pretty solid this year, and they've they've done well besides that A's series where it was a complete clusterfuck. The Brewers have been a solid, solid home team this year. Well, twenty-two and eighteen, so maybe not. Maybe not as solid as I think they are. I think we just that there have been years where the Brewers have been so good at home. They're they're decent, right? Uh, but we'll see if they can uh, they can sort of continue on. You know, with being at least competent at home, uh, and, and Julio Tehran bouncing back today would be would be awesome uh, as he goes for for the Brewers, but. Number two is speaking of, you know, starting pitching, Corbin Burns and Colin Ray both pitched really well. Corbin Burns, you know, five perfect innings. His sixth inning, you know, kind of fell apart on him, but then he was able to get out there for the seventh and was able to sort of help the Brewers out in terms of their their pitching staff. Colin Ray pitched nearly seven innings as well. And that's how you save the bullpen, right? And Burns and Ray deserve a lot of credit for that. Corbin Burns also has been so you know, adamant to use his cutter as a strikeout pitch. Jack Stern, who's a great follow on Twitter, by Jack Stern, I believe is his Twitter name, was very, has been very on like the Corbin Burns has been too stubborn and, you know, take. And I've, I've kind of jumped on that take with him. And he talked about how Burns uses cutter to, as a two strike pitch 42% of the time this season. And that's part of the problem why Corbin Burns has been having so much trouble getting guys out is because everybody's sitting on the cutter. He used most of his secondary pitches, you know, for that first five innings to get strikeouts. So maybe this is sort of the new era of Corbin Burns, right? It's, you know, we're, we're seeing a different side of Corbin Burns. Now he still has to get through that sixth inning hurdle. And that's the Dave Bush hurdle, I think, as we, you know, aptly have called it in the past. And as long as he can get out of his Dave Bush inning, uh, Fred Peralta uh, might be uh, might be Latin Dave Bush, uh, Dave Dave Bush or uh, is what some people are calling him, or Freddie Peralta? I don't know, or uh, whatever. Uh, we'll, we'll workshop that. Uh, but anyways, uh, I, I do think that uh, we we have we have to see with Burns and see if Burns he can can figure out that 16. But still, really pitched well. Conray, man, I don't know. Every every time I expect Conray to fall apart and just be like, all right, yeah, it's kind of similar to what we what we saw to Jason Alexander, but. Conray has defied odds and he's definitely been an unsung hero of this team. Like you can't, can't deny, you know, what Conray has done for this, this Brewers baseball team. It's been really special and he deserves, he deserves a ton of credit for it. And I, I really, I really hope that it it continues because the Brewers are, Brewers are going to need it at least until Woodruff gets back. Right. And maybe more. Right. I I think they will have a real, Tough decision when Brandon Woodruff's back about who gets moved. I mean, Hauser is back in the rotation now, I guess. So maybe it's Hauser. Um, but yeah, it's they—they'll they, be—it'll be very interesting to see kind of how it all how it all shakes out for for the Baruch crew. because right now it's you know it's Burns. I would say out of the reliability, you know, Teron, it was really Toronto until the Mets start. So we'll see how today goes. It was like Tron, Ray, Burns, Peralta, and Hauser was probably the list and I would say it's kind of shifted a little bit um but hopefully this Corbin Burns and the Corbin Burns we saw against Baltimore is the Corbin Burns we see the rest of the year maybe maybe a trip to John Boy was all it took uh for Corbin Burns to fix fix himself we'll we'll have to see uh the last thing uh Matt Bush DFA'd uh, I don't know if you saw my review on Friday night uh but I was like get Matt Bush on my fucking team and sure enough uh, on Saturday morning, they announced Matt Bush was DFA'd, uh, Matt Bush just, he lost his velocity, man. Uh, the Rangers were able to pull the wool over our eyes. Uh, we were able, we had to give up Antoine Kelly for him, uh, who's pretty talented pitcher. Um, so that sucks. Uh, that's a shitty feeling that basically we busted on, on, a reliever. It does happen, right? Relievers are very temperamental one year. They can be awesome one year. They can be absolute garbage. Like Matt Bush, could you know basically reset this year, go back to the drawing board, and then he's pitching for the Phillies next year as their closer, right? Like, w- wouldn't shock me because that's just how relievers go. And Matt Bush, just yeah, he he did much more harm than good for the Brewers. Eleven home runs and 33 innings is fucking wild. Uh, you know, I I think what gets memory hold a lot, and I used it again. <laughs> I need I need a new word. Someone help me out with that. Uh, give me synonyms for memory hold because I use it too much. But what gets kind of forgot in the 2022 discussion, right? of the Brewers, you know, sort of playoff collapse or leaving that playoffs, everyone thought it was Josh Hader, right? And Josh Hader leaving. But really it was that Taylor Rogers and Matt Bush could not stop giving up home runs. Our bullpen gave up so many home runs in that second half and was so bad. And it was such a misfire by Stearns to think that, Basically, Hader's production could be Rogers and Bush together. It, it wasn't at all. Uh, it, it didn't, and, and Williams for that matter. Williams was good besides, you know, the first couple games, you know, he, he tried to close out. But yeah, it was, I mean, all out disaster. And by the way, Josh Hader, look around Padres' Twitter on Josh Hader. I, I'm not saying I'm, I, I'm getting really close to taking a victory lap on all of this. Josh Hader is a mentally weak player. Josh Hader won't pitch multiple innings. Josh Hader is out on... It. He did it once and now he won't do it. We thought for at first it was an arbitration thing. No, it's just Josh Hader is kind of a diva. He's kind of Craig Kimbrel, just a younger version. So, hashtag Chuck was right, maybe, on Josh Hader. I, I, look, I gave I put down my sword. I said, I, I gave it to the guys. I said, look, like Mitch and other other buddies of mine, I was like, Josh, that was, that was a move the Brewers you know, shouldn't have made because... It fucked with team chemistry. I still stand by that part of it. But I also stand by the fact they should have traded Josh Hader. Because it's clear that he wasn't a team guy. He was a he was a me guy. And it's pretty evident. And I think Padre fans would tell you the exact same thing. And I think you want team guys on your team. You don't want me guys. Especially at the back end of your bullpen. And Devin Williams is definitely a team guy. All right, 42 minutes. I didn't even get close to 30. I am such a joke. All right. Enjoy this podcast. We'll be back Wednesday uh, with another show, uh, and then probably Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, maybe I-, I don't know if we'll have a Wednesday show. Um, TBD on a Wednesday show. Definitely Thursday, Friday. Uh, we'll try. We'll We'll try. This is always the dog days, right? So you try to figure out how much content you need, uh, and then as you get closer in July, you'll be it will be spring train or uh, training camp and everything else. So we'll we'll sort of see, but I'll I'll keep you guys updated um, we'll, we'll try to keep cranking out pods for the people. All right. Take care. Have a good one. We'll see you probably on Wednesday. Take care. Bye.